This week's podcast is sponsored by Jolly Bodger's Piratical Outfitters, who offer a wide range of parrots, wooden legs, cutlasses, eye patches, tricorns, and beard beads. Whether you're a buccaneer, privateer, or tyrannical scourge of the seas, Jolly Bodger has you covered. It seems to me that the young people have started dressing as pirates recently. They seem to consider it fashionable to wear eye patches and ridiculous hats. What's wrong with a simple robe with gold lace filigree and a vaulted collar? That's what I want to know. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am your host, Morris, and with me is my stealthy yet nimble friend, Peter Coffey from Southampton Guild Role Players. I'm indeed feeling particularly roguelike today in the sense that I'll be repeating myself over and over again until I get it right. I did wonder why you turned up at my house dressed all in black leather. Well, yeah, I'm off to a party afterwards. <laughs> I don't like to talk about those. Yeah. <laughs> it's indiscreet. I've got to say, in this heat, Peter, it's not a... <laughs> well, uh, it's important to stay hydrated and... Uh, Peter, what's, what's caught your eye this week? Mm, the main thing that I've been really looking at is Wrath and Glory. I know we keep banging on about it, mm-hmm. but it's the Warhammer 40k RPG, and I've been massively into it since... Ooh, crikey. I guess it's going to be second edition, circa around about 1993. Yeah. I've been very interested in the whole mythos. It really took me by storm. I remember reading this fantastic book full of like gothic skulls and strange, weird black and white art line work by uh, John Blanche, mm-hmm. who will recall. Uh, yeah, and just reading through all these things, strange names, strange things. It was a really fully realized universe, which uh, is. In many ways, one of the finest achievements of British sci-fi. And the uh, new edition's coming out very soon at Gen Con, I think, is it? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I've, I've played Dark Heresy, Death Watch, had some very, very fun campaigns with those. Never got a chance to play Rogue Trader or Only War, but would definitely leap at the chance. Yeah, so there's all sorts of things to talk about with it. One of the things that might definitely appeal to you is the use of the Wrath dice, which apparently is much like the Ghostbusters die from the original West End games. Oh, right. I have yeah. fond memories of the Ghostbusters die. Yeah, I'm not entirely 100% sure how one uses it, but it does seem to sort of a sort of a swing dice that you throw in to right. make things better. How did it work in Ghostbusters? Um, if I recall correctly, and we are going back sort of over 20 years, my memory's not mm. as good as it used to be. But, yeah, so whenever you made a skill check or like an attribute check, yeah. you'd also, one of the dice that you'd roll would be the ghost die. And if mm. you roll, and one of, one of the faces of the ghost die mm. was a little Ghostbuster symbol. Yeah. And if that came up, then something bad but usually humorous happened. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Which did, which thinking about it, does mean that basically happens one in six times every single time you try and do something. Yeah. 17% of the time, something hilarious happens. Well, I may have gotten that wrong, to be honest, to be fair, but that's, that's, that's what I seem to remember. Yeah, it seems to be quite a common mechanic coming with uh, games nowadays. The new Genesis system, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, the second edition from Fantasy Flight, that was all based on constellations, daggers, moons. I couldn't make head nor tails of that. Oh, indeed. Uh, my personal experience hasn't been with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, or Woofrup, as the Cognoscenti called it, was uh, very popular. But why I've learnt it was actually with Star Wars, the, I think I'm going to say Edge of Empire, mm-hmm. Age of Rebellion, that sort of jazz. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, very much where I've come across it before. I found it very interesting. The dice exactly the same. Is I mean, it's the 
system exactly the same between the two? Between Wuthrop and Star Wars. Star Wars. I don't I don't know exactly because I've I've never actually managed to play the fantasy role play, but it does seem like it's a very similar sort mm. of spiritual mechanic. And they've actually spun it off, has its own role playing system, an independent one. So that's that's pretty exciting. So having uh, we digress lengthily, going back to what caught my eye especially, I was very, very excited by the fact that what they're saying is that they will allow you to play a Space Marine, uh, Adeptus Soriatus, essentially the female version of Space Marines, uh, Imperial Guardsmen, Orcs, Eldar, all in the same party. Uh, I think it just depends upon what tier you are, because they seem to have divided into power levels. So I would imagine that it's all about where you are in your starting career, what you would then be, in your party, because balancing power levels is always like a big concern of game design. Mm. So if you've got one class which is just better at everything else, which would traditionally be Space Marines, then there's less opportunity for other people to shine and get the spotlight. I'm not quite sure how they're going to do it, but I'm very interested in finding out more. Well, I'm sure we will very soon. Yes. That, um, for the listeners at home, is uh, is my dog Django, who really, really, really wants to be involved in this podcast. But he can't on account of the fact that he's a dog. Yes, dogs don't generally make great podcasters. Though perhaps we are discriminating against him. To be fair, he'd probably be about as good as us. Certainly if it was a live podcast, I'm sure he'd get a lot more views. Because let's face it, he is adorable. (laughs) So would you like to hear what's caught my eye this week? I would love to hear what's caught your eye. Well, let me start with a question. Uh, Crack on. Peter, have you heard of video games? Video games? Mm. Do you mean computer games? Yes. Then yes, I have. Have you heard of Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2? I've not only heard of them, I've actually played them. Have you heard of a little company called Bioware? Bioware, yes, I am passingly familiar with their work, yes. (laughs) This chap who uh, has been working at Bioware for the last 22 years, and he was one of the um, architects of Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, um, Mm -hmm. and also... um, he did Dragon Age Origins, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, a whole bunch of their sort of really big classic sort of um, computer role-playing games. If you want a big story, those are definitely the ones to go to, yeah. Yeah, so he's been there for about 22 years, um, but he's leaving now. Oh, okay. And the reason he's leaving is because he now wants to start a D&D publishing company. Not video games, books. Oh, um, so um, he started a company called Arcanum Worlds, mm-hmm. and, and they're producing their first hardcover source book, which is a sort of ancient Greek-themed book called uh, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. Right. So I'm hearing Fifth Dead. I'm hearing D&D. I'm hearing Ancient Greece. That's that's a interesting and potentially very solid combination. It is. Um, so, yes, uh, he says, after 22 years, I have retired from Bioware. Um, I've loved my time with Anthem, Star Wars, Dragon Age, and Dungeons and & Dragons, but I need to take a break from the industry and work on something smaller and more personal. He also mm. says the most fun he ever had at Bioware was working on Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and Neverwinter Nights. Mm. And uh, um, he's been a D&D fanatic since he was 10, which is why he wants to start doing this sort of very personal project instead of working on the big computer game side of things. Yeah, do what you love. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, what is also interesting is that Bioware's founders... Don't know how you pronounce these names, but Ray Muskia um, and Greg Zestruk. Um, they originally heard of Olin when uh, he was running a comic book store. Oh, yeah. And he was apparently running two sort of legendary D&D campaigns that were so popular, they had waiting lists. 
And that's how they first stumbled across him and brought him into Bioware and he started working on Baldur's Gate and all that sort of stuff. Nice campaign with a waiting list. Yeah, so interesting to see what he comes out with. Yeah. Certainly, I would be absolutely fascinated to see how you could take greek myths and i don't know i don't know how greek i mean it's it's greek inspired i think rather than being Mm, actual greek myths but again we don't really know what we know is the title okay let's do today's news then yes have you heard of joe manganello the name does ring bells i'm trying to remember where from he was in true blood he was a uh, werewolf in true blood Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm Been in a a few other sort of um, geeky kind of TV shows and stuff. He's launching, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. a new D&D clothing line. You weren't expecting that, were you? (laughs) I can see from your face. (laughs) (laughs) It's not often that I'm caught with jaw hanging down and slack jaw disbelief. But no, tell me more. So it's called the uh, Death Saves line. And it includes shirts, jackets... Rings and more based on designs from monsters and items from D&D with a sort of heavy metal sort of design theme. And the first ones, the first items will be available at Gen Con with the online store opening the day after. Fantastic. How long do you reckon it'll be before we see them on Project uh, Runway? Uh, sorry, not Gen Con, uh, San Diego Comic Con, in fact. San Diego so Comic Con. So even sooner. Oh, uh, when, what's the date on that then? Uh, the convention starts July the 20th, somewhere around then. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it's... Later, wow. Later this week, isn't it? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, let me let me call that up. I have to look at some of the stuff that he's... Uh, I would be uh, super interested in seeing some stuff uh, because my wife's been uh, watching Project Runway Season 9, which is from 2011. Mm. But it's quite interesting. So let's, let's see what he's got. Um, well, there we go. We've got this kind of T-shirt here with... Um, a Beholder. I think that says Beholder on it. Yeah, there's a big picture of a Beholder. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. Any pictures of the... That seems to be about all there, all there is at the moment. Does that go, go to her thing? Oh, it goes to Twitter. A Death Knight t-shirt. Oh, Look yeah. A nice blue blue and black Death Knight t-shirt. Yeah, it's got some sort of uh, fiery crown going on. Yeah, that is definitely a Beholder there with the word Beholder. Yeah, and the Death Saves logo. And I can't see what that says. Amazing Comic Con. Oh, yeah, I don't think that's yeah. one of them. I'm well, not sure. I, I don't know. It's uh, hard to say. So, so it really seems to be more T-shirts. I was sort of expecting maybe some long ballroom dresses, uh, potentially a jacket. You know, we stand with a nicely detailed jacket. Well, it does say jackets and rings as well. Jackets, shirts and rings. Mm. Nice. Do you think there's any chance of getting a nice button-down shirt with a... Suitably, suitable D&D-esque print. Who knows? Oh, Who knows? If we go here, we've also got Death Saves plus the and sign from D&D and Bait, which I'm guessing... So Bait are what? Bait is a store of some kind. You can meet Manganelio at Bait's store, which is uh, 925th Avenue, just a few blocks away from San Diego Comic-Con. Okay, so there we go. We've got Bait, our hosting... The new Joe Manganelli line, Death Saves. Well, we've mentioned the Witcher role-playing game a couple of times recently, haven't we? It has come up, yes. Um, it's been definitely confirmed now. It is definitely debuting at Gen Con this year. Gen Con is where it's all at this year. So the game was announced two years ago, mm-hmm. based on the uh, original novels and the um, video game series. Yeah. The press release says, for those not familiar with um, The Witcher, set, a, set in a land threatened by war, fear and distrust, 
The Witcher tabletop role-playing game gives players the tools to play out adventures in a dark fantasy world where moments of hope and joy can be rare, but are all the more precious because of it. It certainly sounds like an exciting game. I know my wife was very much into it, played a lot of it, although she did get very distracted by playing Games of Gwent. Playing? Games of Gwent, which is a game within a game. It's like a small card game where you have various... A bit like Magic the Gathering. Mm. And you can go around challenging various of the computer game characters to to this game uh, for kicks and giggles. Hmm. I know. Bizarre. Uh, what news on the Ennies? Uh, well, the uh, the voting for the Ennies is now open. Um, you can vote mm. for your favourites until July 21st, um, including your choices for the new judges for 2019. Every vote counts, so it's really weird because sometimes... You know, some of these are so close to calls that every vote counts. Um, so, you know, make sure you get onto uh, the Ennies website. You can Google that and uh, make sure you vote for this year's products and they'll be announced at Drink On later this year. Yeah, I mean, just to recap for our listeners at home, the Ennies are a purely audience vote decided set of prizes. The judges from that were picked last year have received lots of games from publishers but they'll be taking these. They've submitted the shortlists for the various categories, but it's actually your votes at home which uh, make the difference. How how would one go about voting, Russ? You would head on over to anyawards.com, that's E-N-N-I-E-awards.com, mm-hmm. uh, and you'd click on the big link telling you to vote, and um, you just go through each category. You don't have to vote in every category. No, no. no one expects anyone, you know, because you might not necessarily have seen any of the sort of five adventures or five indie or you know oh, well, yeah. different games so you just vote in the categories that you know something about or yeah. that you're familiar with leave the other ones yeah and then uh, with a bit of luck you'll be able to show appreciation in that fashion for the designers and graphic artists and all the people who've worked really hard together to bring us these fantastic role-playing game products mm-hmm. i think the general standard is always very high but this year we've seen some really fantastically some much much more varied slate this year I think. It's definitely. I mean, we right. discussed it in more detail in a previous episode, but mm-hmm. and also someone's pointed out that the sort of um, the representation of women and people of color in this mm-hmm. year's slate of nominees is higher than it's ever been in the Ennies. Fantastic! So it's a it's a it's much more representative and inclusive slate this year. It's it just goes to, to show that the diversity and inclusivity of the hobby uh, reaches out. I personally think it's absolutely fantastic that this is a hobby which absolutely anyone can get involved in. Doesn't matter your age, colour, race, whatever. People love telling stories and people are people. What can you say? So have you seen any of the Pathfinder playtest characters? I have been. I have been. Pathfinder's not my system, but I have noticed that there's a lot of stuff coming out. I imagine that's very exciting. Well, Pezo, yes. very, very kindly, mm. uh, sent me along all of the six pre-generated uh, Pathfinder playtest characters. Oh, they sent you personally? Yep, and oh. uh, I've been showing them off on my website, on EN World. Um, oh. So I'm, I've been doing one a day. I didn't do yeah. one yesterday because it was Sunday and I was tired. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, been do, I've, been doing, I've been doing one a day. Um, yeah. So we've done four so far. Yeah. Um, so two, uh, two more to come. Yeah, so so far uh, we've done... Um, let's have a look. So we did um, Fumbus, the Goblin Alchemist. Thumbus, Goblin Alphys, uh, nice. Kyra, the human cleric. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valeros, the human fighter. Mm-hmm. And Sela, the human paladin. Oh. That needs two more to go. So another one tomorrow and another one the next day. By the time people are hearing this, actually. Yeah, it's um, true. That'll all be out. 
Well, we, we, as I say, we do record on Monday, and by the time this comes out, after the hard work of our editor in America, Daryl, it's actually coming out on the Wednesday. So, mm. yeah, good times. All right then, Peter, how would you like to play our favourite game in all the world? I'd love to play our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from hearing just its name. Woohoo! I'm sure its name changes every single week, but it's something like that. <laughs> it's Polymorphous. All right then, can you guess what this Kickstarter is? Let's hear it. Kickstarter number one. Yes. The Complete White Ship Campaign. Oh, that's a really interesting name. I would totally pick that book up to have a look at the back to see what it was about. So, to complete White Ship Campaign, clearly a set of adventures, or which is tied together in a campaign. I'm going to say 7th C, because I feel good about that. Uh, so, we get, we've got pirates, we've got um, probably magic. The White Ship, that's quite interesting. Now, seeing a yellow flag or something would be a sign of plague, so probably nothing to do with that. White ships, I'm getting like a really intense sensation of like uh, sun bleached wood and so forth. So, yeah, I'm getting like maybe, maybe even a ghost ship or something like that. Maybe they're chasing down a ghost ship over like, I guess, the wherever they play Seventh Sea, the Caribbean or something. That, that's my go anyway. Well, um, okay, uh, give you a half points for that. I mean, you very, half very, very, very correctly <laughs> noted that ships do in fact sail on the sea and therefore called out Seventh Sea. Unfortunately, this is for D&D First Edition and Fifth Edition. Really? So you got the system wrong, but I don't uh-huh. think you can be blamed for that. No. Um, so um, this is a sort of mega adventure campaign. It's a full ocean uh, journey adventure campaign. Um, the white ship itself, you uh-huh. called it a ghost ship. Not bad. It's a fabled and cursed stone ship about the size of a modern aircraft carrier that plagues the halo ocean. Interesting. Apparently it's tethered to powers beyond the elemental plane of shadow. And thus the dark necromancer Molo of the Thirteen Wives seeks to claim it and control the world. Molo of the Thirteen Wives. That's That's a catchy name. It's a name to conjure with, definitely. (laughs) Um, the campaign it says they spend two adventures on an Isle of Dread type lost island mm-hmm. and then they jump to a recently uh, fallen oriental style island set of adventures okay before finally entering the Corsair Mists and contesting with all manner of high level creatures ending with the assault on the white ship and finally the boss battle with Molo and his wives all 13 of them I guess yes I mean, if there was only ele- if you only fought eleven of them, I for one feel disappointed. I would too. Thirteen's a good number of wives. That's a lot of wives <laughs> he's got going on. That's there. twelve more than I have. <laughs> it is well, it is twelve more than lost people. Powers. <laughs> so, so, and, and certainly, I can imagine they form a formidable phalanx. I imagine so. Okay. Okay. Should we well, move on swiftly? <laughs> what do you know of the city of brass? Oh, the city of brass. That one. I believe that's a fifth ed reference to the not hell but elemental plane of fire, mm. and it's the place where you stack all the gin and fire elementals and so forth, and they go about their day to day business whilst basically being made of fire. Mm. So, so I'm guessing some sort of source book. Uh, so this is um, from Frog God Games, and this is uh, an adventure uh, for fifth edition mm-hmm. and for uh, Swords and Wizardry, which is uh, one of the systems that they mm-hmm. 
They publish. Um, so it's an epic fantasy adventure, uh, City of Brasses. Uh-huh. Originally, it came out in 2006 um, from um, Necromancer Games, uh-huh. like 12, 12 years ago. Ooh. Bringing it back into print for a fifth edition of Swords and Wizardry with new colour maps, new cover, full colour interior artwork, and um, a full revision of the original three books into a single volume. Oh, nice. Looks very pretty as well. I've seen some of the artwork here. Yeah, uh, it's got very much that. Uh, minarets and Middle Eastern feel, which uh, one would hope would be associated with hmm. Jinni. Okay, next up. Have you heard of Grimtooth before? I have not. Ooh, you're in for a treat. Yay. Grimtooth's Trapsylvania. Grimtooth's Trapsylvania. Grimtooth's Trapsylvania. I see. I was, I was hoping you I had that this <laughs> Okay, so... Grimtooth, I'm guessing, is some sort of anthropomorphic creature. There's a whole load of sort of old school um, D&D players out there sort of silently screaming and cursing at you right now as you say this, as this, this comes from their headphones into their ears. <laughs> they, no, it's Grimtooth. Oh, do you not know Grimtooth? Oh, you'll be surprised <laughs> at the things I don't know, my friend. <laughs> yes. uh, and so with a name like Trapsylvania... I guess what they're trying to allude to is they're trying to allude to Transylvania, so there's some sort of vampire sort of thing going on. But there's a whole part of traps as well. It's either that they're referring to a modern style of dance music, which I would also not be averse to. But from what you're saying about first edition D&D, I think that's probably not the answer we're looking for. You're not going with the modern dance star. I'm going to say... Definitely not the one dark. I style. wish that's what it was. That would be awesome. I would totally play that. <laughs> However, it is not. So, 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 what we've got then, I'm going to say, is Grimtooth's Trapsylvania. That implies we're looking at some sort of campaign where you've got an anthropomorphic, semi-vampiric, maybe some sort of like a walrus or a bear, some sort of huge mammal. Yes, right. A, a vampiric. So you're guessing a, a vampiric, vampiric walrus, walrus. there. And the campaign where you're going into Trapsylvania engaged in a massive dungeon crawl to sort him out. Interesting. You'd take the phone, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be all over that, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, so, so that's the book I'm going to write. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, so, let's go back in time. Way back. It's the 1980s. Oh, okay. I we, was born. Just we, we've got shoulder pads. Mm. We've got perms. <gasps> shell suits. We've got shell suits. Back in the 1980s, there yeah. was a series of role-playing books called mm-hmm. Grimtooth's Traps. Yes. Now, Grimtooth was this master trap designer, uh-huh. and the books were filled with these really, really elaborate, really nasty traps to put in oh, your dungeons. Um, so there's an example of one here, look, if you have a look. Mm-hmm. So imagine they'd be in the 1980s and just yeah. books filled with these. And they'd, they'd range from sort of simple, simpler ones to really, really deadly sort of things with spheres of annihilation in them and all sorts of stuff oh, yeah. at higher levels and stuff like that to oh. just stick into your sort of homebrew dungeons and just use against unwary this is back when killing adventurers was um, something people did more I feel certainly a lot easier than that sort of things life was cheap so what we have here is a book which features some traps but it's our first glimpse into the world of Grimtooth okay. so this is published by Goodman Games who uh, do the dungeon call Cool classics game, which oh, is yeah, an old sir. school kind of uh, D&D-esque game. Yes, yeah, um, with, with the big 
the one with the big funnels where you have like six yeah. level zero characters. And, and one it, of them makes it through, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, so this is a setting book um, mm-hmm. introducing the world of Grimtooth. It's, uh, it says it's sort of a setting agnostic, um, but it does have um, some stats in the appendix for their um, DCC game. Mm-hmm. 144-page uh, setting book, mm-hmm. which um, includes a whole country, 15 large locations, all described and mapped, 48 scenario ideas, 60 traps, or trapped items, mm-hmm. 86 creatures, 26 NPCs, 23 items, and apparently loads of laughs. Interesting. That does look fun. I'm quite tempted to pick that one up. Operation Arctic Blast. Nice. What do you think that is? I'm waiting for the... So let me co- I'm waiting for the colon. <laughs> well, the, the colon kind of tells you what it is. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, so, 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 so I've, got, yeah. I've got to miss that one off. Oh, okay. So, so it actually does have like, a really good name. Yeah, it's Operation Arctic Blast, and then there's a sentence describing what it is. I can't really read that. Uh, that's fair enough. Just giving you the 10 points straight away. Mm, Operation Arctic Blast. Well, strangely, my since we've just been primed from superheroes, my first thought is going along with something like Mr. Freeze going absolutely berserk. But uh, instead, I'm going to say some sort of... 1960s themed spy role-playing game sort of thing. And the Arctic Blast is... Yeah, I've got a really Cold War theme from it for some reason. don't know why. Uh, probably because it's Operation, which cues mm. me on code words and so forth. And Arctic Blast meaning something exciting happening up in the uh, frozen regions of like North Finland and so forth. Mm. Not bad, not bad, not bad. Yeah. You're right, it is a sort of secret agency type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's for TSR's uh, top secret New World Order RPG. Oh. Uh, uh, TSR being the newly resurrected TSR mm. rather than the original one. I was going to say, yeah. So um, yeah, so they're, it, they're producing top secret at the moment and um, this is an adventure for that. Mm. Is this a D20 style thing? I've not played top secret myself. I, so. No, not at all. No, okay. Yeah, quite interesting. So this is a, a 80 to 100 page adventure. You travel to Iceland. Mm. Not Norway, but you know, I'll, I'll give you that. Right, 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 I wasn't right. expecting you to guess the country. Right, you. Um, your assignment <laughs> is to board a container ship mm-hmm. traveling upon the open sea, mm-hmm. acquire intelligence of Chimera's operation, mm. and learn the location of his Iceland facility. Here, you are to neutralize all resistance and secure the weapons for Icon. Icon presumably being the good agency that you work for, the First World, and uh, Chimera being, I'm guessing, some sort of a bit like Spectre from James Bond. Yeah, they called they called it the primary distributor providing weapons to rogue nations, terrorist groups, and eccentric businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's where you get your uh, yeah, that's where I get all my <laughs> so you get all your weapons from. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, not bad. Definitely, he definitely did well with that. Another seven out of ten. You did quite well this week, I think, I Peter. Yeah. I, I, I was Either you're getting better or it's getting easier. Possibly some combination of two. Although you still didn't know who Grimtooth was. I definitely I think know you should Grimtooth go home was. and chastise yourself. Well, well, that's what. At least I'm wearing the right kit for it. <laughs> so, uh, was Grimtooth actually a uh, anthropomorphic bear and or walrus? <laughs> was was Grimtooth a walrus? <laughs> well, I so, uh, so listeners, please write in and let us know about Grimtooth's connection with the uh, walrus population. Or bear, or bear, or bear. Yes. 
I just like if you're going to call yourself Grimtooth, that's what springs to mind. So thus the importance of the correct nomenclature for describing both your product and your character. Sometimes I wonder what I'm doing here. <laughs> What's happening? We're, we're playing our favourite game in all the world ever. Except for when we're finished. And we have. Bad. We have, finally. Unfortunately, <laughs> 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 Oh, my goodness. Oh, I mean, oh dear, what a shame. Maybe next week, eh? <laughs> Shall we move on to some reviews? Yes, let's. So we've had two very nice reviews Oh, amazing. Both on iTunes. Thank you very much. Indeed. Um, the first is from uh, Sendam13. Sendam13, a strong name. Uh, who says, great show, a very relaxed approach. It's almost as if the audience is in the pub with the presenters and just having a chat about all things RPG over a beer. Of course, it helps that they have their respective ears to the ground and they've already given me a few thoughts about things out there I wasn't aware of. I've even bought a few products based on hearing about them on the show. Early days, hopefully it will stay and grow. Absolutely. Lovely review. So thank oh, you, right. Sendam13. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Should we find ourselves in the pub review, we'll definitely buy your pie. Uh, we have another review also from um, David Given Schwarm. That's a strong name. It is a, it is a name. I'll give you that. Um, uh, David says, a very fun, informative podcast, good general information, amazing insight, and playful attitude. Oh, well, thank you very much, David. Yes. Much it is much awfully fun. kind of you, David. Yeah. I take all the credit myself, of course. No, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got your name on it. <laughs> you are the designated scapegoat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we also um, have some more patrons. Mm. Some more lovely, lovely, lovely patrons have headed on over to our Patreon yeah. over at patreon.com forward slash Morris. M-O-R-R-U-S. M-O-R-R-U-S. Yes, M-O-R-R-U-S. Uh, and uh, let's, let's have a look. We, I'd like to say thank you very, very much to Justin Unsworth, Quentin Bracken, Angus, not Angus. A different Angus. Uh, no, no, that's our oh. Angus. Oh. Uh, Daryl Masson, John Morgan... Mm-hmm. Andy Olsen, Andrew Mallets, and Shane Plays, a couple of those we mentioned last week. Yep. So thank you all so much for uh, supporting us on Patreon. Um, for those who don't know, if you head on over to the Patreon, which, uh, as I just mentioned, is at uh, patreon.com forward slash Morris. That's M-O-R-R-U-S. That's M-O-R-R-U-S. Uh, you can um, not only support our show, help us keep it going, help us pay for these microphones, help us pay Daryl, our sound engineer. Also, you get access to uh, deleted scenes, uh, outtakes, and additional sort of bonus content over oh. on the Patreon. Oh, uh, including some of the Kickstarters that we cut for reasons of space and time. Oh, some of those outtakes. Hello everyone, this is your editor Daryl here. The deleted scenes on the Patreon tend to be in the 15 to 20 minute range. This week's is almost half an hour. So be sure to go to patreon.com slash morris for the rest of the show. Also, there's a puppy. Yes, I'm being serious, there's a puppy in the episode. In this periodic sketch, Phyllis Blakemore, once a psychiatrist, interviews a troll with some sort of irrational fear. Good afternoon, Mr. Troll. How can I help you today? Well, Doctor, I'm having a teensy-weensy little problem. Please, go on. It is rather embarrassing. You see, I'm having some performance issues. I see, I see. 
performance issues, eh? Well, it's not uncommon for men, uh, trolls of your age to experience certain uh, losses. It isn't. No, no. It's the most common thing in the world. Absolutely nothing to worry about. Why, I've had the odd problem myself. Uh, so, uh, when did you first notice the uh, performance issues? Really? You've had this problem as well? I didn't think you were the sort. I know, I know, but as I say, it can happen to anyone. Well, I suppose. But anyway, there I was, standing by, ready to perform my duty, as it were. Yes, yes. Well, swinging into action, I took one look and sort of froze up. Froze up? Oh, yes. Well, I saw that great hairy thing bearing down on me, I froze. It's a, a great hairy thing. I've never heard it called that before. Well, I suppose it's not the most politically correct thing. How else would you describe one? I suppose I would um, employ the correct terminology, if I must. Oh, right, sorry. So, there I was with this great billy goat bearing down on me. <coughs> um, excuse me, um... Did you say goat? Yeah, yeah. Billy goat. Eight hands high at the shoulder, if it was an inch. Big like goodness knows what. I'm sorry, I, I'm not quite sure I see the relevance. I've been trying to tell you I'm not performing my duties. I'm scared of goats. What kind of troll is scared of goats? Oh, you're scared of goats. Ah... Oh, yeah, that's what I've been trying to talk about. Well, never mind. Right, goats. Have you ever heard of a troll being scared of goats? Mm, goats, yeah. Yeah, big billy goat, large as life, crossed my bridge. I mean, you hear stories. Stories? Yeah, about them knocking poor, innocent trolls, just doing their jobs, knocking them to their deaths. Well, yes, it does sound concerning, but you are, without wishing to cause offence, quite... um. Large. Well, I have always tended to have quite large bones, yes. You're what, 12 feet tall? 12 foot 2, yes. And weigh, what, 900 pounds? In, in that region, but I don't... So, how on earth would a goat move you? Well, I suppose it does sound ridiculous when you put it that way. That is the definition of a phobia, an irrational fear. If it was rational, well, it wouldn't be a phobia, would it? No, I suppose not. I think the best thing is to book you in for some exposure therapy. Show you a goat in a cage. Allow you to be in the same cage as a goat, etc, etc. Let me arrange a follow-up appointment. So, uh, Peter? Yes, Ross? Do you like video games? Do you mean computer games? Yes. I love them. So, uh, Dungeons & Dragons has quite a history with computer video games. Yes, it does. In fact, I've got the Wikipedia page up here now. Wow. And going back to sort of like the last uh, late 80s, Whew. we have got dozens and dozens of D&D-based computer games, starting with um, Pool of Radiance, Ooh. all the way back in 88, 
all the way up to uh, the Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition, which came out in March of this year, mm. with lots and lots in between. So I thought maybe we could just dive into some of these games, our favourite games that we've played over the last couple of decades. Not that we're that old, but... <laughs> Do you remember uh, Neverwinter Nights? Never actually played Neverwinter Nights because it didn't have a co-op function. I played a lot more of the uh, second and third games within the past five or six years because they're, you can play them multiplayer as like co-op and land co-op and so forth. Um, and so I, I did that with friends and my wife and so forth. I think Neverwinter Nights was pretty much the first uh, multiplayer. Really? Yeah, so Neverwinter Nights was uh, a game where you'd, you could actually have a actual dungeon master mm-hmm. running like, like you could create or run a pre-packaged mm-hmm. adventure for a number of people to play mm-hmm. so you'd all be playing your own character in this sort of isometric kind of Baldur's Gate-esque kind of view yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you'd each control your own character and then the dungeon master was able to sort of like throw in monsters and inhabit monsters and make them talk Ooh. and all this this is this is all the way back in uh, what was this 1991 Fantastic. I came with this tool set that the mm-hmm. uh, DM could use to create his own worlds. Really? It's like a tile-based tool set, so you can oh, create okay. villages, you can create caves, you can castles and stuff like that. Wow. And then you, um, your players would just wander around them and you'd sort of appear to them in the guise of various monsters and either attack them or talk to them. Or oh. It was really quite exciting at the time. I played yeah. that for ages. No, absolutely. That sounds really good. Computer-mediated role-playing. Yeah. I mean, there was a sequel that I never went into Nights 2, which I don't think sort of I, I personally didn't get into quite so much just because the tool set was a bit more awkward to use to, to be honest I had no idea really really enjoyed the main campaign I think we hit like level 15 or something mm. uh, before real life intervened and we sort of and I think my computer died so we couldn't retrieve save games yeah. well, we had a castle it was very exciting and we had this uh persistent world going on mm. uh, never went nice because you could you could sort of rent these servers out for something like a five or a month or something mm. and you could uh, create your world stick it on the server and the server would run 24-7 because oh. normally when you are hosting an Everwinter Nights game mm-hmm. it ran from your computer yeah. and then people would sort of connect in via the internet to your computer mm-hmm. so it was only basically running their world was only running while your computer was on and running that particular game yeah um, you could rent a server and just have it running constantly. Ooh. So you could create a persistent world. You could give like various NPCs and monsters scripts and stuff. Uh-huh. So you didn't even have to be online to run it. Ooh. People could come into your world and wander around your village and interact with the shopkeepers or fight the hill giant or, you know, whatever else you put in there. Really? It was really, yeah. really good fun. That sounds very interesting. Uh, so what, what other, what other uh, video games do you recall? Baldur's Gate, of course. Yes, yes. And this is jumping forward to sort of late 1990s. Baldur's Gate, I think, is probably one of the most famous D&D video games. Very much so. Uh, absolutely gripping story. I played it, got quite far, but then I kept on being sidetracked by things like the Sword Coast Adventures. Mm. And I think um, Derleg's Tower was... There was like fighting some ghost dwarves in there that right. had like a, a a sort of seven deadly sins theme. Um, except it was only four of them, and that was a pretty tough fight because I got in quite a long way by saying you you will tank with O cleric with your uh, plus two war hammer and shield, mm. and everyone else, literally everyone else, will stand at the back and shoot them full of arrows. Mm. I think probably Baldur's Gate, I, I'd say, is sort of like the iconic. 
Mm. Yeah, Iconic One. There's a whole series of games based around the same engine. Mm-hmm. If you call, there was like uh, Baldur's Gate 2, there was uh, mm. Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale, do you remember that one? Yes, yeah. Um, uh, there, was, there was a few Icewind Dales, actually, Heart of Winter, mm. Trials of the Lawmaster, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Icewind Dale, that first fight, um, I think that's been the death of many a set of importunate players that are like, oh yes, yes, we'll play this game, how hard can it be? Go two steps and then you're suddenly filled with arrows from copper. Yeah. So I think Planescape Torment as well is, is definitely mm. a, a fan favourite, that one. Oh, yes. yes. But, but that's a different sort of beast because, as I understand it, you had your scalpel and you took on the world and if you died, you got back up again and cracked on, which I think was very computer game but also I, have to confess, I, never, I never played that one because I got into that one much much later for some reason I played the Baldur's mm. Gates games mm. for some reason I didn't try um, Planescape Torment until I think it was a good 10 years after it was released mm. by the time I revisited it it's like uh, it, did, it hadn't aged well sort of uh, graphics wise mm. and I really struggled to get into it so I, really, I'm really sad but I, I've missed out on what I'm told is a really really formative big sort of uh, D&D video gaming experience. Russ, you will be delighted to know that it was Planescape Torment Enhanced Edition was released, I think, last year. Oh. Yes, yeah, so they've fully updated it, given it a... Oh, so there is. Yeah. I did not realise this. This is, oh, April 2017. Hey, there you go. Runs on a Mac as well, apparently, which is what I have. Um, and, and, you know uh, Monty Cook? Yeah. Who was kind of instrumental with, uh, amongst others, obviously, with, with Planescape. Um, they, there's a sort of spiritual successor to Planescape Torment called Torment Tides of Numenera. Mm. So Numenera, obviously, is Monty Cook oh, Games' yeah. um, own system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, using that, that system, mm. um, Monty Cook Games has uh, entered into a partnership in order to create a sort of uh, a game which is, as they say, spiritual successor. So obviously it's not the same mechanics. Yeah. It's not D&D mechanics. Um, but it's mm-hmm. supposed to be the same sort of feel and same kind of look, although obviously oh, more modern okay. graphics and stuff. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I mean, that came out in <laughs> February 2017. So it, so it is out. Interesting. It'll be worth having a good look at that one. Yeah. The whole thing about Planescape was it was set in a city of a thousand doors where all the yeah. doors went to different planes and so forth. So, yeah. Definitely an interesting setting that I'd like to see more of. Hmm. Uh, what else have we got? Um, if you're not so much talking about the role-playing game aspect, if you like things like uh, Lords of Waterdeep, you know, the uh, board game? Oh, yes, yes, um, I played that. It's it an iOS version of that. I think that's... Uh, and like, Android, I imagine. Yeah, they, they certainly... Uh, so you could play it on your tablet or on your phone? Yeah, yeah. That would be quite yeah. good. So when did that come out? Uh couple of years, three, three, four years ago. Ah, uh, twenty fourteen. It says here, yeah. So, so four years ago. Mm. Um, yeah. So there's um, there's a few different things that you can get on iOS. Actually, there's um, not only Laws of Waterdeep, uh-huh. um, Dungeons and Dragons Arena of War, iOS and Android. There's uh, Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. I've got my, to find out more about this. Arena of War. I've never heard of that. What about the various settings that they've explored? A lot of it's going to be Forgotten Realms, I imagine. Uh, yeah, so generally it's pretty much all Forgotten Realms with uh, occasional dips into uh, Planescape and Dragonlance, it looks like. So Eberron, Kryn, yeah. Lots of Forgotten Realms. Yep. Dragonlance, we've got Champions of Kryn, we've got Death Knights of Kryn. Mm-hmm. Mistara, we have Order of the Griffin. Okay. Uh, Dragonlance, Dark Queen of King uh, Kryn. A Spelljammer game, Spelljammer Pirates of Realm Space, came out in 92. Wow, okay. A bunch more Forgotten Realms. A Dark Sun game, Dark Sun Shattered Lands, came out in 93. Mm. Uh, and also uh, a sequel in 94 called Wake of the Ravager. Oh. Ravenloft, 
No. Um, Ravenloft Strauss Possession came out in 94. Alquidim, The Genie's mm. Curse, 94. Ravenloft again, 95. Yes, they've, yeah, we've got uh, Planescape down here. We've got, yeah, we've got quite a range of settings here, actually. Yeah, a cranky amount. There's even a couple of, in 2003, there were a couple of uh, Greyhawk-based games. Really? Dungeons and Dragons, Heroes, and The Temple of Elemental Evil. Not my... First thought, but yeah, okay. Eberron was uh, Dungeons and Dragons Online Stormreach. Uh, another another Greyhawk game in 2007, Dungeons and Dragons Tactics. Mm. So yeah, they're definitely sort of like doing more with the settings via computer games than they do via the actual books at the moment. What's your ideal D&D video game? If you were to be presented right now with a brand new D&D video game, what would it, what would it be? Oh, that is a tricky question. I personally would want to move away from going for the massively multiplayer online role-playing game mm-hmm. because you sort of end up having too big a party yeah. and that does detract from where you're going. So something like maybe a computer game conversion perhaps of uh, Curse of Strahd or Tomb of Annihilation. Mm. I would be very much about that. Or indeed, many of the other lines that I've known less well. But yeah, that would be pretty ideal for me, I think. I'm kind of in two minds of what mine would be. Mine, I think, would be an updated uh, Neverwinter Nights mm-hmm. to 5th edition rules. However, Ooh. I mean, the way I used to use Neverwinter Nights, which is basically to host a game and then have sort of five mm-hmm. or six players go through that sort of mm-hmm. dungeon or sort of like scenario that I designed or prepackaged one that I grabbed off the internet. Mm-hmm. I think... That activity has pretty much been replaced with sort of a combination of streaming and using a virtual tabletop like uh, Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds these days. Mm. I think that's basically the same activity using different tools. Yeah. And probably these those tools are better for it than a video game mm. could be. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking maybe, maybe just that type of game isn't really in the cards anymore. Yeah. You user generated content is fairly strong community generated content is very very strong way to do it i remember pearbrain studios bought out uh, Shadowrun returns mm-hmm. that was which they had to pry the license out of i think it was nintendo's fingers or, or some point and there was a massive massive like problem so they managed to do it mm-hmm. they brought out the first game and i at the plot was basic but i was playing Shadowrun. i was having a good time i wasn't having to wrestle with big piles and numbers uh, i was able to get lots of different kit and that was really fantastic so i guess what we're looking for here is something similar a game which will have like a story arc that you can play through and then they've also got the kit so you can then go and play in other people's adventures hmm. which sounds very similar to what you were describing yeah. really various things i mean i play I went on Steam, downloaded a bunch of adventures and took my character through them. Had a great grand old time. Then went on to play the Berlin and Hong Kong versions and that was pretty solid too. So that's something that I know I can do and I can enjoy. Would you like to know what the top 11 D&D games of all time are? Ooh, well, Baldur's Gate's got to be like number one. Well, IGN, yes. uh, back in 2014. So. Is, it, is this best selling or... Uh, best quality. Uh, um, in our estimation, the greatest Dungeons and Dragons video games ever made. Okay, so IGN's. But so we might not, we might not necessarily agree. Let's see if we agree or not then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know why eleven, but eleven is what they went with. So uh, last nice round number. <laughs> so so number eleven yes. in their chart was Dungeons and Dragons Online. 
Okay. According to IGN here, it was the first MMORPG that um, proved that free-to-play payment plans were um, viable alternatives to the subscription model, which was kind of dominant at the time. Mm -hmm. Probably, I think, World of Warcraft was big at the time. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Well, World of Warcraft remains big. But that was sort of when World of Warcraft really was sort of... Oh, yeah. You know, bursting onto the scene, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so that's the, that's the number eleven. Um, number ten is Champions of Crin. Mm. Um, so this goes back quite a bit. And they've got a screenshot here, and you can basically see from the screenshot the graphics are very, very nineteen nineties and at, at the time cutting edge. Nowadays, I think you might use that as a phone screensaver. So, so in, in Champions of Krim, you uh, you follow um, a chap called Sir Carl mm-hmm. on a, a medieval animal rescue mission to protect a bundle of dragon eggs. A bundle of dragon eggs. Yeah, key plot point to the original Dragonland stories, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I assume these were sort of, I, I don't know, were these sort of like set after the Dragonland stories or during them? I'm not sure. I would say it might be set sometime round about the events of... Dragons of Spring Dawning, Possibly. where that essentially... Was the, that was the second book, wasn't it? No, no the, the third, third book. book. Yeah, because you've book. had Autumn, Twilight, Winter's Night, and then Spring Dawning, yeah. Yeah. where uh, essentially to get the good dragons back into play, they went and did a bit of a sneaky run and joined a bunch of them out of uh, Tiamat's Caverns. Yes. The ones yeah. that had been converted into Dracosians. I did, like, I did like Dragonlands. Yeah, it was really solid. <laughs> so number nine... Yeah, Shadows over Mistara. I, um, I'm not familiar with this game. Um, it's um, I thought Mistara was like a goddess of magic or something. Uh, no, it's a D and D world, isn't it? What? Oh, that land. Uh, so uh, this is uh, yeah. It says debuted near the end of the glory days of 2D arcade beat 'em ups. <laughs> what? Um, a cursory glance suggests it's a reskin of such uh, side scrollers with a D and D name stamped on top, but. Its depth reveals itself in the action. Um, I've never seen or played this game, so I can't I can't oh. comment one way or the other. But um, yep, that is their number nine. All right, so we move on to number eight. Um, so you mentioned this earlier, Eye of the Beholder. Yes. Again, I've not played it. I have seen it. But this is a very accurate screenshot. There's like on the left, you've got a picture of what your front party member could see with a set of directional arrows underneath. There's little compass rows, and then. Over in the right-hand corner, you've got four portraits of your various characters. So was it all sort of set in a dungeon like this, or could you leave the dungeon? Or You could, quote, leave the dungeon, unquote, to go into a suspiciously linear forest. Right. And there were wolves that would eat you. So yes, it was all in a dungeon. Right, okay. It just the background effects. But the thing that makes it really appropriate and makes you say, ah, yes, yes, that's the other beholder I prepared, is that one of your characters is dead already. <laughs> You've seen a monster and they died. Excellent. That that was very much the game that I played. Yes. Okay. Uh, was it say it sparked the frustration of players who believed its ending didn't just find the effort needed to reach it? Did you reach the end of that game? Oh god, no. Oh okay. No, no, <laughs> even close, mate. <laughs> uh, so number seven. Yeah, number seven on their chart is Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite pretty looking. It looks like a, a sort of Diablo s kind of. Um, uh, action-y game to me. That's definitely not the Baldur's Gate I remember. I'm going to say that, despite disregard the fact that the title is kind of a cheap attention grab, Dark Alliance resembles its PC counterparts about as much as Gandalf resembles Doctor Who. Mm. So it's like, well, I guess not so. Oh, there we go. It could almost pass for a graphical update of 1985's Gauntlet. There we go. Okay, oh, so. yeah. So Diablo, not a million miles off. Yeah. So number six. 
Yeah. The six is Icewind Dale. Ah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember Icewind Dale very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, came after the Baldur's Gate games. Mm-hmm. Great, great game. I loved it. Loved it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, did you play Icewind Dale? Yeah, I'd say uh, it's the one with the um, initial fight where you uh, venture slightly south of the village and then suddenly there are goblins and then suddenly you're dead and it's like time to reload. Hmm. Goblins aren't very nice, really, are they? No. No. It's all pretty murderous in 5th edition, especially if you use that whole bonus action to disengage and or hide. You'll be surprised at the amount of advantage you can get from attacking from hiding with a short pole and how much it ruins players' days. Mwahahaha. I mean, that's how I do it in real life, so... Well, you attack from hiding with a short pole. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> no, no. It's your roguish nature of film before. So number five is yeah. Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Which is probably the classic. Mm. Um, yep, yeah, love the game. Yeah. Love the game to bits. They got Prob- the probably the game I've played second most out of D&D video games Ooh. after Everywhere Nights. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, loved it. Uh, as you mentioned, there is an enta- enhanced edition. Um, I've seen them talking about the original here, but there is mm-hmm. an enhanced edition out these days. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't think there's much we can really say about Baldur's yeah. Gate. Everyone, everyone listening knows... Yeah, I think they changed it from Baldur's Gate to the Baldur's Gate 2 engine, um, just to make it a bit prettier, because the first one does not, did not age hugely well. You remember Minsk and Boo? Of course, everyone remembers Minsk and Boo. (laughs) Go for the eyes, Boo. (laughs) Minsk is in charge. Swords for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So number four is Never Winter Nights. Oh, nice. Uh, My favourite. Mm-hmm. Loved that game. We've talked about this earlier in the podcast already today. So yeah, yeah. And how I spent an awful lot of time running adventures on that and designing persistent mm-hmm. worlds on that. I do kind of miss that game, actually. Is that where you got your uh, bug to design games from? Ah, uh, good question. No, no, I think I was doing that before before Never mm-hmm. Nights came out. Okay. I think uh, it satisfied my craving yeah, yeah, at the time, is what it did. Yeah. A useful tool set to yeah. create things with that. Yeah. Um, number three. Pools of Radiance. Oh, there we go. The first one that you first mentioned. One. There yeah. we go. That's what it looked like. Oh, goodness. That's <laughs> that's very bright. That is early 90s state-of-the-art graphics, that is. What's that? Commodore C64 or something? Something like that, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the first uh, D&D video game I ever played. I remember it. Planescape Torment, number two. Oh, really? I'm surprised that's not higher. The... It's almost legendary in the way people have talked about it. Mm. Um, I'm just sad to say I've never really had a chance to properly dig into it myself. I, I just, well, I've as, as I mentioned it. earlier, I, I tried to, but I was too, I was too late. So I really mm. should check out the enhanced edition for that. Absolutely. Uh, so number one, well, what's your guess? What do you think it is before I reveal number one? Oh, crikey! So well, it's not Baldur's Gate. Number one. It is not Baldur's Gate because that was number three, wasn't it? Uh, no, that was number four. Yeah. No, oh. it was number five. Broadest right. Gate was number five. You know what? The only thing that I could realistically say would be Neverwinter Nights 2 because I've had immense amounts of fun with that. Baldur's Gate 2. Baldur's Gate 2. Really? Okay. That is apparently the number one D&D video game. And I agree, it's a really, really good game. I, I haven't got a problem with putting that up there at the top. No, nice, nice. Wonderful game that was. It enjoys a position among video game RPGs today that's not unlike the position enjoyed by Shakespeare in English literature. It's been called the best for so long it feels like heresy to dispute it. Right. Mm. And, yeah, okay. Wow, up to 100 hours of time. Mm. So how, how, would, how would you say these sort of games sort of stand compared to, say, Dragon Age Origins or some of the sort of more modern role-playing video games that you can get these days? Well, they're no Mass Effect, I can tell you that. Um, but it's like comparing, I don't know, um, chalk with liquid nitrogen. It's like just not the same stuff. 
So, last week we held a competition, did we not? We did. It was very exciting. Do you remember the question? Uh, I believe it was the orc who had anger issues, and yes. then they weren't getting angry enough. And the question was, what was the name of the monster psychiatrist that the orc saw? Correct. That was indeed the question. And we have several entries. The winner is Doug Evans, who writes, First time listener, RPG Net sent me to your site, but not sure if it's the current podcast. So if wrong competition, sorry, don't worry, Doug, you got the right one. Good work. Uh, but he has correctly guessed the name. Well, not guessed the name. It, we did read oh, out. Of, <laughs> yes. of, of, of the monster psychiatrist who is uh, Phineas Blakemore. So Please well done, me. Doug Evans. I'll be replying to your email and you can send me your address and I will get you a copy of War of the Burning Sky number one, the scouring Ooh. of Gate Past out to you straight away. Fantastic. That's going to be a fantastic prize. Very well done. Okay, so this week's competition, the prize is a copy of uh, Xenomorphs, The Fall of Somerset Landing, a aliens-inspired adventure stroke source book for the What's Old Is New system, but you could probably use it in any other game. Um, mm. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous book. Yes, absolutely. Lots of lovely art and... Lots of deadly aliens. So many deadly aliens. Um, so, uh, in order to, to enter the uh, competition, you will need to answer the following question and email us. Please don't tweet it where people can see the answer. Oh. Email us at morrispodcast at gmail.com. So, Russ, what is the question for this week? Uh, the question is this. How much does the troll weigh? That's it. How much does the troll weigh? Email us at morrispodcast at gmail.com. Morrispodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, email us with your answer and uh, we'll randomly choose one of the successful entrants and send that book out. Entries close at Friday midnight GMT. And if you could please put in the title of your email, podcast competition, that would really help us out. Well, so thank you so much for listening to us. Thank Babble you. on about D&D video games and other assorted nonsense. As usual, we have no idea what we're talking about, but we do our best. And we hope that some of you out there are, you know, mildly entertained. Indeed. Were you not entertained? It's words of uh, the Gladiator from Gladiator. I think his name was Commodus, but I forget. Hmm. In fact, that was the Emperor, so I'm just wrong. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius. That's fair. Yes, our That's competency fair. shines through his head. I know. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for listening. Um, this is going to be goodbye from me, Russ. It's goodbye from me, Peter. And we'll see you next time. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I imagine you were as disappointed as I was with that podcast. I will have them tortured as usual. I think I'm going to put Russ in a small box in the basement while Peter will be hung from the ramparts.